I welcome you here in the name of Jesus Christ and in the love of God. You are welcome. And now we are here to worship that God. And so the words of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Number 25 in your hymn book. Immortal, invisible God, only wise, enlightened, accessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we Join us. together includes a number of activities and events and they are listed in your program there in the bulletin and I want to highlight a couple of them first of all if you're interested in becoming baptized you're already a Christian but you haven't yet been baptized you can talk to Pastor Russell and you will go through some classes to uh, understand more of what this church believes and then uh, you can be baptized later on this spring or summer. There's already one person signed up so that's why we're kind of already putting a date on it. And uh, if you're also interested in becoming a member, that is a very similar process. Also some classes together to understand the, the beliefs uh, of this church. So. You are welcome to talk to Russell about that. And the other thing is that this is the time of year when our yearbook is going to come out soon. And so on the back table, there is the address list. And if you would kindly check your own name and address to make sure that we got it right, that would be excellent. 
Or if you look on that list and realize, I'm not on it, but I'd like to be, because this is my church, then add it on. Any other announcements? There's a microphone available if you have one. Just put up your hand. All right. Then we will continue worshiping by calling each other to worship through the words of Psalm 145. And they are on the screen for you. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One, one generation, generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They, they speak, speak of the, the glorious splendor of, of your majesty. majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They, they tell, tell of the power of your, of your awesome, awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And after we sing a couple of verses of this next song, then the music will continue to play while I pray, and there will be opportunity for you to also have silent prayer during that time, and then we'll finish the song together. So great is thy faithfulness. that we are not. We have not loved you with our whole heart. 
nor loved our neighbor as ourself. We have not kept our promises to do good. We have acted selfishly and out of fear. We have not looked to you, but to other gods for comfort and guidance. Hear the confession of our hearts. of assurance are also from Psalm 145. 
The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you. Lord, your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. that you are the creator of all and you deserve all the glory and the praise. Everything that we think we own, we know is really yours. And so we, we do give you our souls, our lives, our everything. And thank you that you take what we give you, what we give you back, and you make more of it. We offer our lunches of a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, and you turn it into enough for 5,000 and more. And so as we give to the, the work of this church in the local setting, as well as to our conference of churches and all the 
missions and projects that, that are supported through that, we know that you take what we give and make more of it. So may all of what we give to you, our time, our talents, our treasure, be multiplied for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading from Luke 9, verses 20, 46 to 48. So if you want to turn there, you may. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me acknowledges the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Good morning. Uh, we, if you have your bulletins on you, there's a list of things that we'll be praying for today. I want to add one more to that. Uh, Carrie Sawatsky's grandmother passed away this past week. Uh, they are at the funeral uh, today, and so we want to make sure uh, to pray for them as they go through this difficult time. And so, if you bow your heads with me now, let's go into a time of prayer. Our God, we praise you every day. Our God, we praise you this morning for the wonderful sun in the sky, the feel on our skin. God, we praise you for what you have made and what you continue to sustain. God, as we look at the things that we come before you in prayer for, we are overcome by all that you have done and continue to do for us. God, we praise you for Valley View Bible Camp. We praise you for the work that they do amongst the children of Manitoba and beyond. God, we pray a blessing on their ministry, especially this year. We know that the Tubing Hill is where a solid amount of their operating budget comes from, and this has not been the year for that. And so, God, we pray that in whatever way that they need it, the budget will be made up. And, God, we pray that as they head into the summer and the ministry that they have planned, that it will be exactly what it is that you need for their kingdom to be built. We pray that you will put the speakers in place, the counselors in place, and everyone in place, that in a way like never before, you will be seen truly. We put that before you. God, we also pray for those that are hurting today. God, we pray first off for Evelyn, as she is in the hospital in Portage, now that the hospital is on lockdown. God, we pray that she continues to heal. God, we pray that the underlying issues are solved, that the doctors have that stroke of brilliance that you give them that she needs, that she will continue to heal completely. God, we pray that as she's now up and walking, that you will strengthen her. And God, we pray that you will show your strength to her every day. We pray for healing for our sister, Evelyn. And God, we also want to pray for Carrie, for Matt, for the whole Plett family at the passing of Carrie's grandmother. 
God, we pray that you will be with the family during this time. You will be the comfort that they need, that the funeral will go without a hitch, that it will be exactly what they need as far as a time of remembering the memories gone by, and that the healing that needs to happen will begin today. God, we pray be with Carrie and be with the rest of the family during this hard time. And God, we also want to bring before you One Hope Canada. Now as they are going and gearing up to what the summer is going to bring as well as what the future will bring as well, we pray a blessing on them. We love to hear these updates. We love to see the things that they are doing. God, we can see that you are at work here. And we pray a blessing on them. All of these things we put before you, and we place them at your feet. Amen. Uh, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Uh, in the back, your teachers will find you. And it is my honor to introduce somebody that needs no introductions in our church, uh, Bill McCaskill, who is the Executive Director of One Hope Canada. I believe that is the title that you go by, Executive Director at One Hope Canada. He is going to be sharing with us what their ministry is up to. I had the privilege of talking to him a little bit about uh, some of the future plans, and let's just say they are very interesting. And so I'd like to welcome up Bill McCaskill. Well, good morning. Uh, thanks, Pastor Russell. It is uh, really, really good to be here. Uh, there's a lot of uh, familiar faces I'm uh, seeing, and uh, some I've said hi to already. Uh, spoiler alert, Bev is not with me. So yes, I'm used to the disappointment I see on people's faces. Um, but it's, uh, she's, so I'm here for a, a, a group of meetings in Winnipeg, and she works tomorrow. And she loves her job. She, um, so for, for those of you who may not know, uh, Bev and I served together, both of us full-time with the mission for the first seven years. And uh, that was great. We uh, were able to um, make friendships across the country. And um, it was a really special time. Uh, after uh, that season, our jobs were changing. Not the title, but what, those, uh, what that job would entail. And so it meant that we'd have to take on different responsibilities. And so we used it as a time of discernment. And she had decided at that time that she would like to um, take a like, step away from that. Maybe go back to school to, for some education. Maybe go back to working in school. She was an EA here in um, McGregor for years. Uh, and in that time, we moved to, uh, to Saskatoon to be closer to her dad. So she had an opportunity uh, with not being on the road to be closer to her dad. That was great. We didn't know at the time, but it was also the last few years we would be with uh, her brother. Her brother passed away a year ago uh, coming up here. Uh, we didn't know he was going to be sick, but um, it was so gracious of God to lead us there. And she is now um, full-time in a school. She's an educational assistant, loves it. Uh, she is a kid whisperer. And uh, she just does uh, amazing things. And so it's great having her enjoy uh, that work. Those of you who may not know, uh, Bev and I were, we moved our family here. I, I drove by the house we moved. We were with Youth for Christ. We were kids raising kids, okay? And, and we lived on a blue house on Hampton. And we raised our family essentially in McGregor. We started going to the McGregor, McGregor EMC when it was at the building over here. 
And the reason we chose McGregor EMC was a very deep theological reason. Uh, the, the kids were the loudest here. And um, we didn't want to be the only ones with loud kids. You know, you're young parents and you're like so self-conscious and stuff. So we thought, hey, if there's lots of other young parents with kids, then, then that would be great. I was reflecting, thank you, David and team, for just leading in, in worship and um, bringing us before the throne of God's grace, his forgiveness that's for us. That song we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Um, like I was saying, we were kids raising kids. Like we were married pretty young and had a young family. And, and you think you know a lot when you're in your early 20s. And then as life goes on, you realize, shoot, I didn't know anything. And, um, and part of that is not knowing how faithful God is and experiencing that when you do life in a group of people who are also committed to following Jesus. Not perfectly, but committed. And, and we got to see the faithfulness of God uh, through the church here. And um, it was very a very special time. There was a, a short, very short season when I, I had the opportunity to pastor here, and that was incredibly healing for um, Bev and myself. But most of my life here, most of our lives here, were we were raising our kids. We were doing life. And we got to see the character of Jesus in you, which then formed the character of Jesus in us. And so it's very special being here. And uh, I just want to give you a little bit, because I know it doesn't pertain to everybody, but just a little bit of a personal update and then a mission update, and then we'll, we'll dig in and just unpack a little bit of the, the verse uh, that we read there from Luke. Um, so not only did we raise our kids here, but our oldest, Stephen, married a local gal, Samantha, and they got married here 13 years ago in this church, April 30th, crazy blizzard day. If some of you may remember this, my family couldn't make it. Like, it, like the church was half empty, so we invited total strangers to come. Um, but uh, here, I'll just get rid of that bottom menu. If all goes well. There we go. Uh, so yeah, it was crazy. We made some memorable pictures, though. But anyway, this is them now, 13 years later. Four uh, boys, uh, Micah, Solomon, Ezra, and Aiden. Um, they make their home in Florida. Uh, Stam, uh, Homeschools the kids full-time, and Stephen works for a ministry called Radius, which uh, mobilizes the local church and equips them for global missions. Uh, this is Steve, or sorry, Brendan and his wife, Jocelyn. They live in Kelowna, and uh, Jocelyn is from uh, San Diego, Arizona, originally. Uh, they met on a missions trip, and uh, they make their home, yeah, in Kelowna. Uh, Brendan is the... Uh, CEO of a game board studio. Uh, he has a team of four or five people and they create board games. And um, Jocelyn is a, um, a counselor, full-time counselor. So they enjoy that. But of course, Florida and, and Kelowna and, and we're in Saskatoon. So uh, it, it all works well. I was talking to somebody uh, who his, both his, he has two kids as well. They're both in Europe and where they make their home. And so I wasn't getting any sympathy from him. But if you want to give me sympathy after, that's great. Uh, and this is, of course, uh, Bev and myself. Uh, it was at a conference that uh, we were at. Every four years, we bring all of our One Hope Canada missionaries uh, together. And we were in Halifax this past uh, fall. I have a picture here. I have, if, if you want to pick out Henry and Loretta and the Valley View team from this group photo of 150 people, you sure can. You can just take one home with you. Uh, Sheldon and I were trying to find the Valley View crew, and we 
cannot, but I know they were there. Um, and now on the back is just a picture of, of Bev and I. But we, uh, we thank you for those uh, of you, so many of you, uh, receive our, our monthly emails, just updates, praying with us, supporting us. And if you would like to, um, if you'd like to pick up a, a prayer card like this, they are on the back. If you don't get our monthly email and you would like to, just find out a little bit more about us. Just put your name and your email address. We would love to kind of bring you along on, on the mission. And this is... Uh, this is the mission that um, we, uh, we do. This is what One Hope Canada's purpose has been since 1927. Uh, we started here in Manitoba. Actually, the first uh, camp was Gimli Bible Camp. And uh, there was a missionary couple that was invited up from the hunters, who were invited up from the U.S. to start to... Um, start the Sunday schools, like in rural areas, and they thought it'd be really great to like do Bible memory contests to get kids memorizing the Bible, and they thought, let's do an epic prize that nobody will ever get, right? So 500 verses, who's going to memorize 500 verses? We'll give them a week at camp. And so they were shocked in that first year that they had about 27, 28 kids memorize 500 verses. And so they said, we need a camp. And uh, so that's how Gimli Bible Camp started. And from then they realized, wow, Bible camp is an amazing way to do this, right? To present the gospel, particularly to those having the least opportunity to hear of Christ, especially children, youth, and for discipling believers for living and serving through his church. And Valley View Bible Camp, of course, is the closest one of Canada camp, and it's where like our kids went and where they were discipled. Uh, this, so you can see the one of those dots in Manitoba is Valley View Bible Camp, uh, but all those dots represent camps or ministries that One Hope Canada has across Canada. And so I just want to give you a kind of a, a brief, kind of a, kind of a more of a 30,000 foot level of what One Hope Canada does, but you are part of, of One Hope Canada here uh, when you serve in a normal year on that, on that tubing hill, right? And when you're, uh, those of you who are on the board or you just volunteer during the summer, you're part of bringing the gospel, the hope of Jesus to, to children and youth in Manitoba. We have, by, if you look at it just by the numbers, there's 38 Bible camps, four community ministries, and every year we reach uh, over 30,000 children and youth. Uh, well over half of them have no idea who Jesus is. They, they come, and, and we live in Canada, we live in a post-Christendom uh, country. So most kids grow up not knowing what Christmas is or Easter is really about, other than days off school or presents or big chocolate bunnies, um, they grow up never holding a Bible. And so when they come to camp, this is the first time they're learning who Jesus is. They're, they're holding a Bible and, and, and reading about him. We have 150 year-round missionaries, and during the summer that swells to over 3,000 uh, summer missionaries and volunteers. But all of that is only possible because of the local church. So One Hope Canada is does not, in a sense, do mission on its own or by itself. We facilitate mission happen from the local church because it's the local church that reaches out into the community. So we partner with 370 churches, just like you guys, uh, across the country. And uh, from those churches, uh, close to 300 local board members are serving at our different camps. And we have close to 500 people that are praying for the ministry every day. And if you'd like to know more, again, if, you're, if you don't get our, our magazine, it's twice a year. It kind of gives you kind of a bit of a national picture. Again, put your name on the back, and we would love to send that uh, to you. Now, how do we go about doing that? Of course, the big way is we operate Bible camps, and that has been historically what we've done. However, if, if you go back in our past, 
back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, we did lots of different ways to fulfill that purpose statement. Like we did crazy things like we had a, a national radio program uh, for kids. Uh, we had community ministries uh, going on all across the country. We had a, Bible, uh, a, a, a best book club kind of Bible correspondence course. So we've done lots of different things. Uh, over the last 20 years, it's kind of gone down to just Bible camps. But uh, as we look ahead and we see the need in Canada, we want to do more. But starting Bible camps is really, really hard. Like it used to be that a farmer would say, hey, here's a field, and we'd set up some tents and we have a camp. But now with uh, all the obstacles to doing that, it's very hard. Financial obstacles, health regulations, building codes, it's really, really hard to start new camps. And so if we were going to grow and reach more kids, it's going to be in different ways other than just camp ministry. And so we're going to, we're kind of going back to what we've done in the past and putting a new, as if you think of it, a new twist on it. One is launching community ministries. We have currently four, but we... Uh, know there's communities across Canada that don't have a strong gospel presence, and we want to send missionaries into that community to work with children and youth, and hopefully, in partnership with other churches, plant churches. We won't be involved in church planting. That would be the, the, the activity of the other churches, but we want to be involved in reaching kids in those communities. And so we have uh, dreams and hopes there, and we are beginning to see growth in that area, so that's exciting. Um, Facilitate digital discipleship, I'll talk a little bit about that, but about four years ago, we had a couple of estate gifts that came from people who loved the mission, and even though they did not own a smartphone, they knew that kids were using smartphones, and so they donated their resources to say, um, take what you used to do, which was a best book club, like a Bible correspondence course, and turn that into an app that can be safe for kids to use, that can be there be built in accountability for leaders, but it will allow kids who, who have no opportunity after they leave camp to stay connected with leaders who love Jesus and love them, and they can be discipled and grow. And as we started to develop that app, we had um, requests from churches and other ministries, and so I'll just share a little bit about that in a bit. And of course, tra tra training resources. We have a lot of training resources we use for our camps. We just want to make those available to other, uh, other ministries across the country. We, um, I want to give you, I want to focus on this part about discipling believers because uh, I think that really ties in really well with the local church in, in the fact that a study done in 2012 found that one in four young adults who grew up in their church will still, stand, will still attend church by the time they're 25. Like that's really low. So kids who grow up in the church, only 25% of them will continue when they're 25. Now, the difference is that becomes three and four. There's two things that make a major difference. One is when the kids see faith being lived out at home. So like not just grace before a meal, but like the struggles of real life intersecting with a real faith in Jesus, right? Seeing that kind of lived out. The second thing is when those kids have an opportunity to put their own faith or at the time, maybe their parents' faith, into action, and it becomes their own personal faith. And that's done through a mission experience, either cross-cultural or at home at camp. And they found those two things, the, the real-life struggles and faith of parents and a mission experience like camp will make that one and four go to three and four. And I've seen that in, in our own lives, uh, our own lives personally. Both Bev and I were found our own faith, Jesus became real when we were at camp. And we've seen that in Brendan and Stephen. 
And I know many of you can testify to that too. I, I remember when uh, Brendan was talking about being baptized. I remember when Brendan was baptized. Emily was baptized, I think, at the same time. And I think there was a couple more. But anyway, most of them, they, in their testimony, they talked about Valley View. And so that's like real life example of this stat being true. Uh, and just continue. I just encourage you as a church, continue to, to nurture your young people serving uh, because at the end of the day, what's real is what's going to last and nothing will last more than a growing love relationship with Jesus. And um, camp is a place where, where that can, can happen. I just want to, uh, maybe I'll just want to say one more thing about, um, about camp and camp ministry um, because I, I talk to folks that, uh, you know, what's heavy on their heart sometimes is when their kids are, have decided as adults, right, um, to not at this time anyway follow Christ. And that can be really heavy as, as parents. And I know even as now with having grandkids, it's like, oh, man, I pray for them, right? I pray for that. And I know that everyone needs to make that choice for themselves. I can't make it for my grandboys. Uh, so Gary, who's Bev's brother, she, he passed away, like I was saying, a year ago. Uh, he lived a pretty crazy life. And when I moved to, Gary, uh, to Saskatoon, I didn't know Gary that well. And I thought I would never really get to know him that well because he and I were like kind of polar opposites. Like he had long hair. I can't grow long hair. He listened to heavy metal. And it's like, yeah, the closest I got to was Petra. And, um, you know, it was like I just couldn't, couldn't see myself connecting with him. But it was, um, it was odd because as he, um, as he and I got to know each other, um, I knew he was very hard towards spiritual things. But there was a tenderness to him, and we spent time. He, he taught me to love how to golf. That's not like not a small miracle. And, um, and then when he uh, ended up getting sick, and he was sick for maybe four or five months before he passed away, it, it was amazing because there was like a front row seat to see his heart change. And I, was, I remember visiting him once when he was uh, housebound, and I asked him if I could just read some scripture to him, and he said, sure. So I started reading Psalm 23. And I got to, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he finished that verse. And then he finished the whole psalm. And I go, how do you know this? And he said, well, and I found out. He had gone to Bible camp for, like, five or six years. And his parents had dragged him to Sunday school. But then by the time he was 13, he had, like, totally rebelled that stuff. He was out of the home by 16 and had left a, a wake of relational disaster. And yet... The arm of God is not short. He pursues our kids, even when we have maybe given up or our doubts are so strong. And I saw God transform his life. And at, at the end of his life, literally, he was testifying to the love of Jesus. A palliative care nurse came and um, was doing her intake sheet. So like one of the questions to ask is, hey, any religious preferences or whatever? Well, he was laying on the couch, and when he heard that question, he, he got the strength to sit up. And then, in answer to her question, he just said, Jesus loves you. He loves everyone. And then he went to lay down again. <laughs> he was testifying to the goodness of God, even though his entire life, he had, like, shunned it. The grace of God reaches all. So take that as an encouragement. 
It was an encouragement to me personally. It was an encouragement to me for what we do as a mission, that even the kids that we may not see fruit of or they may not profess a faith in Christ, that those seeds that are planted, though they lay dormant, the Spirit of God at any time can choose to water that soil and sprout life and a new heart. The, um, the other way we do our, that second part, that discipling part of, the, um, of our purpose statement and I was talking a little bit about this earlier in regards to our app that we developed. We're on version three now. Um, this was, again, started with, with the older generation saying, I want to invest in the growth and the faith development of younger people. And we know, here's a number, 91% of youths will have their own smartphone by the time they're 14. Crazy, 91%. So how do we stay safely connected with kids that that's just how they communicate. And yet there's like so many dangers. We, at camp, we say never be alone with a camper. And that's just for safety, right? So how do you do that when you can erase messages or when people can send photos or just crazy stuff can happen? So we created an app from the ground up that would be safe, would allow accountability for leaders, and would be a place where kids could be discipled in the format that, in, in the medium that they're used to. And so our every... Uh, every ministry that signs up. Oh, and by the way, so because we created this for our camps and churches and others are using it, so we have, uh, I think our last count, we had 150 other organizations using it. And we really do see a vision where we could have, like the numbers are there where it could not be hundreds, but thousands of other churches and ministries using this to disciple and develop faith in their kids. So every uh, ministry that signs up, it's a closed community, so they can't have access to anybody else they don't know. And we, all the chats are moderated. There's profanity filters. They're saved forever, so there's built-in accountability. And kids can talk to leaders, and leaders can encourage them. We have a photo gallery for uh, loading pictures. This is how our camps get uh, photos up to, uh, to the families after camp. There's a quiz feature. And um, this is one of my favorites, is a question box feature. They can ask any questions about God, faith, or life. We've, we answer hundreds of these just for our camps alone. We answer hundreds of these year-round. And so here's just a few of them, okay? Is it okay to bring my Bible to school? How do we know that God is the one and only God and that he exists? Why does God love us so much? How can I forgive someone at school who makes fun of me? Like, like, we have hundreds of questions like this. So, like, kids, when they have a real question, have an opportunity to ask a question and have somebody who loves Jesus, knows the Bible, give them an answer that would help them grow in their faith. And so we're excited about that, and, and we see potential of not only helping our camps, but helping the churches across Canada and Kidmans across Canada. I want to, um, you know, obviously what we do as One of Canada is kids ministry, and it's important to me personally and, and to our mission. And I thought it'd be kind of nice to just t spend a few minutes reflecting on those verses from Luke that were, were just read. And, oh yeah, this is prayer card at the back. Um, and so let me read this again, follow along with me, and then let's just spend some time unpacking this and being encouraged in our own hearts of, of what is in here for truth and how it can point us to, to Jesus and, and what he uh, has done for us through the, uh, through the life of a child. So an argument started among them. And by the way, this is in Luke 9. So Luke 9 is a bit of a turn in 
Luke's biography of Jesus. And um, we, there's a lot, you know, the transfiguration when Jesus kind of reveals that he is the son of God. This is in Luke 9. Sending out the 12, that's the beginning of Luke 9. So here, um, and he's, on, he's about to be on his way to Jerusalem, okay? So there's a turn where it's like he's setting his face to Jerusalem for the Passover and, of course, the cross. But in the middle of it, we've got this conversation that is happening among the disciples. So an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. They, then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Don't you love it? This is just a total aside. But don't you love it how kids are always around Jesus? Like they're just always around him. And the, I mean, there's lots of stories in all the other gospels, the other biographies of Jesus that talk about kids being around Jesus. So it wasn't like when he needed a child for an object lesson, it was like, hey, Peter, find me a, find me a kid. Hey, Andrew, bring a kid here. You know, and they bring him on like, a, like an extra at a movie set. It wasn't like that, right? It was literally, he's walking along, the disciples, you know, he, he overhears the disciples fighting about who's going to be the greatest. He stops, he turns around, he calls over one of the kids that he knows by name, he has him or her stand next to him, and then he says this, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Wow. And, okay, so before we go very far, because the word welcome, it kind of loses a little bit in English, right? We have a mat by our front door. It says, welcome here. You know, it's kind of like... Jesus is meaning more than that. And that's why, if you look at the different English translations, they all use a different word to try to get to the original, like the Greek, what, what is originally meant here. Um, other translations have receive or accept. Okay, the word means you're opening yourself up to warmly welcome someone with a high level of personal engagement and involvement. You are identifying with the one you are welcoming or receiving. Okay, that's what's behind and underneath this word. So when Jesus says, you know, he brings a child near, he says, hey, whoever welcomes this child is welcoming me. Whoever welcomes me will welcome him who sent me. He's vividly illustrating how different his kingdom is compared to any earthly kingdom. And it's not obvious when you look here because, you know, we put our, our 21st century mindset of, of how we think of kids. We kind of set that on to first century Palestine. But kids were viewed in the Roman Empire, and even by first century uh, Jews, very, very, very differently than what we do today. Like today, we go to great lengths to keep our kids safe, right? We protect kids. But those values did not exist in the Roman Empire at all. Okay, let me give you a picture. Okay, the Greco-Roman view considered children as not complete human beings who possess value only because of their potential for what they could become. Children's birthdays weren't celebrated on the day they were born. They are actually celebrated about eight or nine days after when the father of the household would decide whether to keep the kids or not. That was a complete option. And, and if, if they were children of slaves, it wasn't up to the father. It was up to the father of the household. And so an option would be just to, to kind of abandon the kids on the side of the road, which was commonplace. 
If you put together that factor with like the malnutrition and all the craziness of, you know, first century medicine, historians estimate that about 50% of children died before the age of 10. Abandoning children, like I was saying, commonly practiced. Um, children, sexual abuse by non-citizens. Uh, so children of non-citizens of Rome or children of slaves, uh, sexual abuse was socially acceptable. Children were excluded from society, ignored by intellectuals, except as examples of what not to do, right? And Greek philosophers never used them as positive metaphors in, in persuading adults to imitate certain qualities. So the first readers of Luke's account here had the Greek-Roman mindset. So when they would have read here that whoever receives this child in my name or whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, those words would have been totally ridiculous and foolish to their ears. Okay, that's how much of a radical shift what Jesus here is saying. And, and now the Jews, they did have a higher view of, of children than what their Roman counterparts did, but they still... They didn't believe that children in themselves had innate value. It was only what they could become after they were trained that would give them value. And rabbis contemporary to Jesus taught that it was totally acceptable if your daughter was under the age of 12 that you could sell her into slavery. Okay, do, do we get the shift here? And Jesus now is bringing a child, okay, a child with this mindset, right? The least of these, truly the least of these saying, hey, you welcome one like this, you're welcoming me. Like, that's crazy. Greatness in God's view, he's trying to press in, in his kingdom will be measured not how society measures it. Like, that's the bottom line. So for us, it's not going to be measured by, like, how many likes our post had or how many followers, if you're on TikTok, they're able to collect, right? It's not going to be measured by our salary or our accomplishments or our family or our resume or the size of our savings. Greatness in the kingdom of Jesus is humbling oneself to be personally involved in receiving and welcoming and identifying with those who are broken and hurt and on the, that are unseen, they're on the outside, who the world and the culture, they don't value. That's how God will measure greatness. And greatness is measured that way in God's kingdom because it's how Jesus demonstrated his majesty and greatness. Right? The king of the cosmos leaves his throne in heaven, humbly takes on the frailness of human flesh, lives in a broken world that we created so that he could welcome, he could receive us who are broken, who are on the outside, who are unseen. It's the only requirement we have of coming to Jesus is to realize that we are indeed those things, right? That we need a savior, that we need a doctor, that we need rescuing. Jesus would later on say, right? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but to those who know they're sinners. And here's the great news. By Jesus identifying with us, by, by welcoming us, we now have the capacity and the ability to truly identify with him. 
And that's because our ability to receive Jesus and to identify and welcome Jesus is in direct proportion to how much he has first identified with us. Like, just ponder that thought for a second, okay? Just reflect on how much Jesus has identified and gone to the lengths he has to welcome us. We've already talked about, right, him leaving the throne in heaven, being born a baby, being, becoming a man in this broken world. But in just a few verses, Luke is going to say that he, resol- sorry, he determined in his mind, he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. In Isaiah, it says he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. And by him doing that, he was going to identify with us at a whole new level. This is the season of Lent, right? We, we reflect on that road to Jerusalem that Jesus walked. It would lead to anguish in a garden and arrest by a mob and beating by soldiers and mocking by strangers. He would end up taking his cross outside the city and being nailed to it and dying. But Jesus was determined to do that road to Jerusalem because he was about accomplishing his father's mission, which meant that he would ultimately identify with us at a whole new, like, unthinkable level. And later on, Paul, in his letter to Corinth, the second letter to the Corinthian church, he would unpack that, that of Jesus identifying to us because he, he would say actually that Jesus became sin for us so that we could identify with him and become the righteousness of God. See, by Jesus fully identifying with us like he did on that cross through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, Jesus has won for us the gift of our true identity. And that true identity, it was robbed when the enemy of God first tempted our, first, our parents, right? And they, they said, hey, we can do life on our own. We can do life as independent, self-sufficient creatures. And what that means, how that spells itself out, is we look for our identity in all sorts of external things, right? Whether it's our job, it's our accomplishments, it's our family, or internal things, right? What my heart is telling me, what my truth is, what I believe is right. But now, because of Jesus, who lived perfectly, always identifying with his father, always knowing that that is where his identity uh, lived and was, we can now have the identity that we were created for. A love relationship with our father that's not based on our track record, it's not based on our successes or our failures, it's not based on what my heart is telling me in the moment, it's based on the perfect, flawless, God-honoring life of Jesus. And then all the other identities that we have, and they're legit, our relational identities, vocational, personal identities, they're now free and they're able to take their created place in surrender to our true identity, which is a beloved son or daughter of God the Father. Do you, do you see, do you got a glimpse of like how the identity Jesus wants to give you, to give every like child and youth in Canada is so much different than all the other identities that are offered? The God of the Bible So the God who created you says your identity is not something you have to struggle with. It's not something you have to search for and and try to discover. It is a gift he has for you. And it begins by believing that Jesus welcomes you, that he receives you. He reminds you that he identified with you 
and not just the best version of you. He's identified with that part that you don't want to show anybody. That sin and shame that, that you want nobody to know, that's the part he identified with on the cross. He sees it. And he did it. He carried it so that he could give you your true identity. That he can make you his little brother, his little sister. And that God could become your father. And so because of Jesus, we have been given this radical, life-transforming identity that frees, it empowers us, it motivates us to courageously move into our communities and our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, to welcome and receive and identify with those who are broken and hurting, and to do it with the radical, life-transforming love of Jesus, the same love that he has for us. We can now give to others. It's the best news we will ever hear. It's the best news we can ever believe. And this is the news that we want to give the children and youth of, of this province and, and of this country. This is the good news of Jesus. I need to hear it often. I need to believe it. I need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for me. Because the more I'm reminded, the more I see him, the more mysteriously and graciously the Spirit forms his character in me. And I can love others as he loved me. This is good news. Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, I thank you for the gift of your um, salvation that is so great. More than just at the moment of, of being saved and being justified, but that it carries on that you are working out our salvation even now as we reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done, what he continues to do. Thank you, Jesus, for not um, being a reluctant savior, but for, um, for wanting to come and be united forever with us. Thank you for welcoming and receiving us. And Spirit, I would just pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds. Help us see clearly Jesus again. But let us not stay there. Let us then reach out and, and be courageous as we love those who do not know you yet. As we love those who have perhaps known you at one time but have drifted away. God, give us insight and, and, and help us to, to do that with your love and your grace and your tenderness. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for how you've placed them here. You have given them unique relationships in their workplaces and in their neighborhoods and, and, and with, with family members extended uh, close and near. And I would just pray that you would empower them, that you would give them a fresh uh, glimpse once again as we so need every day, God, of, of your majesty and glory as seen fully in Jesus. And God, may we, our hearts be stirred to reach out to those who have yet to hear this amazing news. And I pray this in your son's name, amen. Let's respond to that with song number 379, Take My Life and Let It Be. And we'll have uh, the men sing the second verse and the women the next one after that, and then we'll pause for the benediction. together. 
writer of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Take my love, my Lord. 